Welcome to the podcast, Let's Talk Sped Law, a podcast dedicated to discussing special education rights of children with disabilities. I'm your host and special education attorney, Jeff Forte. Now let's talk Sped Law. Hi everyone, this is attorney Jeff Forte, back with another episode of Let's Talk Sped Law. Today I'm very excited to um, have on the call with us today, um, Celine Almazan, who is from COPA. Celine, could you, um, could you introduce yourself here to our, to our audience members and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Celine Almazan. I am the legal director for the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. I've been their legal director since 2014. Uh, prior to that, I was a board member for I think 11 years and I've been a member of COPA since 1998. Um, I've been practicing special education law um, since 1986 or 87, having um, done it um, um, as a law student um, in the early 1980s, so been practicing special education law for a very long time. And um, for for the benefit of our audience, Lean, do you have your own practice as well as being the legal director of COPA? I do. Um, I was a legal aid lawyer um, right out of law school for about six or seven years, uh, represented children in the foster care system. Um, we know that most of those children have special education needs, so I did IEP meetings as well as other hearings for children in, in foster care. And then I was at a nonprofit. Um, the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education for about 23 years, uh, where I practice exclusively um, least restrictive environment law, um, did um, IEP meetings, due process hearings, mediations, federal court litigation, um, not only under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, but also under Section 504 of the Rehab Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, then um, when um, MCIE, the nonprofit, decided to get rid of the advocacy portion of the agency, um, those clients who still had open cases I took with me um, and opened a small private practice where I represent families who um, are looking to return to their neighborhood schools or remain in their neighborhood schools, and I still um, practice exclusively um, least restrictive environment law. Great, thanks, Celine. So, as the legal director of COPA, um, can you can you get into what COPA first stands for and what is its mission um, currently? Okay, so the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates uh, was founded in 1998 um, by Jim Rosenfeld, who um, is now at the University of Washington in Seattle, um, and. Um, it's been around since 1998, was formed to um, address the needs of um, advocates and attorneys and parents of uh, children with disabilities um, and the advocates and attorneys who represent the parents and children. Um, it is ex exclusively for attorneys and advocates who only represent um, families. Um, it is not open to um, um, school district side attorneys um, or, you know, people uh, that represent uh, school districts in, in, um, 
in the United States. Um, its mission is to ensure that there is um, the highest level of representation for families. We provide a lot of training for um, advocates and attorneys. Um, so that's kind of what we do, do the training. As we have progressed, you know, went from um, one um, conference a year, our main conference, um, um, and um, we have now grown to um, about 2,700 members. Um, so it's, it's certainly grown in its um, offerings and its size and um, in a lot of the policy work that we do as an organization. So really, the, there, there's almost three audience member swim lanes for COPA, um, is, is what I see. And um, for, for folks that are listening, um, I'm also a member of COPA, and the, the resources that they have are at, you know just absolutely tremendous. Um, you should definitely check out their website um, to, to get more information about COPA. But what I see it as is there, there's really kind of three audience um, or participant members, right? There's the special education parent attorneys, there's the special education parent advocates, and then there's the parents themselves, right? Right. Yes. And um, what, you know, what, what resources and offerings does COPA offer at COPA.org for special education advocates, for example? So we do a, um, essentially a year-long training, the Special Education Advocacy Training. Um, it's the, called the SEAT program, S-E-A-T. And we started that about 10 years ago in conjunction with the University of California, I believe in Davis. Um, and we developed the curriculum and um, we have um, been training special education advocates um, for quite some time. We have now, in addition to the um, introductory, into, introductory course for SEAT, we now have um, advanced levels of SEAT as well. Um, and it is a year long training, um, weekly. Uh, very intensive um, and then after that the um, trainees are expected to do about 60 hours of a practicum with a practicing attorney to sort of follow them along and learn how to do advocacy. We've had for um, quite some time special education um, um, special education advocates ethics um, mm. uh, principles um, you know, always in, ensuring that that advocates are trained on the on the unauthorized practice of law, um, and the seat training itself does um, uh, mostly you know training in the law. Um, they do a significant amount of papers, I know, and, and homework activities. Um, it's very, it's really incredibly intensive. So, so if. Uh if someone wanted to start to learn about becoming an advocate um, within 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 the U.S., really COPA has um, nailed it down as far as getting the knowledge and the the, the program and the comprehensiveness of 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 becoming an advocate for for children with disabilities through this program called Seats, right? Yeah, we like to think so. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, yes. yeah I know a lot of um, advocates that have that have 
gone through it, and the practicum is is absolutely something that um, is is so essential these days. And you mentioned ethics. You know, it's interesting because I don't necessarily see that there's. Um, uh, 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 you know, an ethics guidelines for for advocates, except through the organization of COPA, which is really great because we're kind of setting the standard for what advocates should be holding themselves to, right? Yes, yes, we've had that code of ethics for quite some time, um, and I know that a lot of people do refer to it. You know, we don't certify advocates; we're not in that business, that's not what we do, but we do the training, um, and then we expect the advocates to abide by the Code of Ethics. So let's talk now about what COPA provides for special education attorneys, or for attorneys that might be interested in getting into special education law, but otherwise have not gone into that practice yet. Okay. So um, let me just go back. Um, Are we going to talk about the COPA committees as well? Because the other thing that we do offer for advocates is our COPA, our our advocates committee. And that's a very uh, robust. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Very robust and active um, committee in COPA. They offer once a week, um, uh, once a week, conference calls where it's always a substantive topic. They have guest speakers once a week. Um, and it's, like I said, it's incredibly robust um, uh, at, um, committee um, that, you know, they do a lot of um, um, information sharing. And uh, as I said, guest speakers once a week, and um, it's incredibly robust. And Actually, that is a good segue into the other things that um, we do for attorneys. Um, For attorneys, we also offer online new attorney training. That's how I met you. Um, (laughs) And uh, we offer that once a year. That's I think this is going to be the fifth cohort that I've done. It's a 12-week course. Um, You have to do papers in order to get continuing legal education credits. uh, this was the last cohort that I did in the fall of 2019. Um, I think I had 36 uh, new attorney participants, which is pretty large. That's great. Yeah, in about 25 consistently. And then this past cohort, there were um, 36 That's participants. Um, in addition, we also offer a, a new attorney skills training at our conference, which is in-person two-day skills training once a year that we do for new attorneys. Um, we have uh, uh, recently introduced additional offerings for advanced advocates. Um, we, for advanced advocates, we also offer uh, due process training for advocates. Um, there are some states that allow advocates to do due process hearings. So um, we now offer a two-day skill level training for advanced advocates as well. Um, the attorneys um, have access to the um, COPA law listserv. Only attorneys are allowed on the COPA law listserv, and it's also a very robust um, listserv. Lots of great questions, great answers, great resource. People post um, pleadings on there. They post suggestions. They post things that they may have um, written for court or for due process hearings, and it's um, it's a really good resource for attorneys. Um, there's also a variety of committees that attorneys can join. The amicus committee is one. Um, the attorney committee um, is another. This past year, 
we did roundtables for attorneys. I believe we did six um, beginning in the fall and extending, I think, until February of 2020. Um, again, uh, taking what um, the Advocates Committee has been doing, um, once a month we had a roundtable um, with um, a guest speaker, PowerPoint. They were not recorded. Um, uh, and um, the attorney would talk about a topic for about 30 to 40 minutes, and then we would open it up to questions from members, attorney members, um, on the, the, the related topic. So we did one um, on um, trying to think what we did. We did um, uh, FAPE, uh, Free Appropriate Public Education. Um, we did... Um, I believe we did something on um, independent educational evaluations. So there were just mm. timely topics on one thing, and then we would open it up to people for questions. That's great. That's great, Celine. Um, so if we now move to what uh, COPA provides for, for parents, right? Um, a lot of the people that follow the podcast um are our advocates and attorneys, but then there's also parents. What you know? What resources from the parents' perspective does does COPA provide? For example, I know that um, COPA has a, a very robust directory geographically of attorneys and advocates that parents should be using as a resource when trying to find out who they may want to hire to help represent them or a question for their child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do offer for um, families, we offer a membership um, to families. We offer um, yearly um, training at the annual conference. We offer webinar trainings throughout the year. Um, the, those topics are determined by the training committee. Um, usually they are the topics that were the highest rated at the annual conference. We ask the speakers to come and do a webinar on those topics and that those that information is, is available to parents, attorneys, and advocates. Um, we um, offer membership on the uh, COPA main list, um, which is available and open, the listserv is open to parents, attorneys, and advocates, and um, parents get questions answered there. Um, a lot of advocates are also parents of children with disabilities. That's how um, some of them became advocates. Um, so that is, uh, that is something that is available to them as well. Um, we um, have been trying in the last two conference cycles um, to offer pre-conference trainings to um, local parents in the city that we are having the conference in. This started when we were in New Orleans last year. We did some training on the ground ahead of the conference to um, train parents um, and give some information to families in New Orleans, as well as offered uh, training to attorneys who might be interested in representing families in special education law. There are very few attorneys in Louisiana that represent families in special education matters. A lot of the attorneys and advocates are from Texas and travel into Louisiana mm. and into um, New Orleans. There is a law school clinic from Loyola who has been interested in offering representation to families 
um, through their law clinic. So we did some on the ground training there for families. Um, in Baltimore this past year, um, we also were offering um, um, training for families. Um, Maryland and has a lot of attorneys who do, well, not a lot, but about 25, 35 who are um, members of the Maryland Special Education Lawyers Group. Um, about seven or eight do litigation, but the rest are families, um, or the rest are attorneys um, who represent families. So we did a lot of outreach. We have a very strong um, 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 protection and advocacy organization, Disability Rights Maryland, um, who does training, a very strong PTI, Parents Place, who does training for families, um, another organization um, uh, in Prince George's County, um, uh, Loud Voices Together, led by Renetta Stanley, who is a former uh, SEAT graduate who does um, a lot of advocacy uh, for families in Prince George's County. So, um, we are trying to, um, when we go to cities, look at families and, and whether or not um, we can offer additional training uh, on top of the conference. That That's amazing. I mean, I can, I can tell you that the pre-conference programs that COPA is putting on are so incredibly comprehensive. Um, it's such a great idea to get into the cities that we um, join together and, and collaborate on for the benefit of the parents within those cities. That's 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 great. So that's something that's fairly new um, within the last couple of years or so, right? Yes, it is fairly new. It was spearheaded by um, a board member, Matt Cohen. Um, you know, we have been working on diversity issues for quite some time, for at least the last four to five years. Concerted effort to make sure that we had um, um, people of color who attend our our conferences to make sure that we offer enough scholarships for families who may not otherwise be able to attend because of the cost. Um, so we've been, you know, we've been working um, a lot on, on that as part of our strategic plans. Um, That's great. You know, trying to address all of that. You know, when we were in Texas a few years ago in Dallas, you know, we were offering um, translations in Spanish in order to try and get more um, Latino families um, to also participate in the conference. So let's, if if um, if we can, let's kind of pivot and talk about now the 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 scope and breadth that COPA has by way of um, on two fronts. With with the first filing amicus briefs for causes that um, support COPA's mission, and then also on the. Um, on the government relations and the um, and the legislative front, I know that COPA most recently, you know, as we're recording this, uh, we're, we're recording this um, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic, and um, the 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 amount of momentum that COPA has has had to apply itself to with. Uh, with IDEA at the at the federal level is just something that's that's unremarkable. So, um, can you talk about the the footprint that that COPA has with filing amicus briefs, but then also um, what 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 COPA is currently doing as far as the legislative advocacy front goes as well? Sure. So, um, prior to my being the legal director, I was one of the co-chairs of the amicus committee. And now as legal director, I direct the, the, the 
the work of the committee and the co-chairs. I work with three amicus co-chairs, um, Catherine Marino-Reisman, Ellen Sagman, and Alexis Casillas. And um, we respond to requests. You can go onto our website um, and look at the drop-down menu for submitted amicus request. Um, we do ask for a significant amount of, of information um, and reasons why people are requesting an amicus brief. Um, we file amicus briefs all throughout the country in all 11 circuits and the District of Columbia. There are 12 appellate circuits in the United States. Um, so we also uh, file, write and file amicus briefs in the United States Supreme Court, having done so in Fry versus Napoleon, as well as Andrew F. Um, the most recently, 2016-17. So we do that amicus work. They have to be issues that apply to um, all our members. That generally, we don't accept um, requests for an amicus brief in in appeals that are highly fact specific. Um, we're looking for the legal issue that applies to everyone. A good decision will apply to everyone. Um, um, Sonia Kerr, who practices in the Fifth Circuit, um, believes that we've made a, a significant difference in the Fifth when we file amicus briefs, and it's very kind of her to, to say so. But, um, you know, we've gotten some nice decisions out of the Fifth Circuit in many of um, Sonia's cases. And so, um, you know, we work on um, um, filing amicus briefs for uh, members, um, some non-members, um, in issues that are of importance um, to all of our members. I believe the year before last we had, we filed 17 briefs this past year. I think we did 15. Um, we have like four due at the end of this month of April, beginning of May. So it just kind of ebbs and flows, depends on how much, um, you know, how many requests we get and how, you know, whether or not we accept them. Um, we also do a fair amount of technical assistance for attorneys and parent members. Maybe you've got a parent who has been pro se, um, doesn't know if they should continue on, um, and we do um, technical assistance for parents that are pro se as well as attorneys who may have lost at um, um, the due process level, have questions about how you go on to the federal court level, same thing you know, if they have a loss in federal court, whether or not they should go ahead and appeal to um, their their appellate um, level. Um, so we do that. We offer moot courts for appellate attorneys. Um, sometimes um, um, some firms um, generously give um, COPA amicus time to argue, which is about two to three minutes. So it depends on locale. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the amicus work. Um, the issues for amicus that we're interested in also are closely aligned with our policy um, issues that we believe are important. We have been at the forefront on restraint and seclusion. We had the very first principles on restraint and seclusion um, uh, of other organizations. Um, we vet exhibitors and sponsors for a conference um, as to whether or not they comply with our principles on restraint and seclusion. Um, so, and we do a lot of advocacy on restraint and seclusion 
um, been one of the major, uh, major proponents of the Keep All Students Safe Act, um, which was pending before um, the pandemic. Um, since um, you know, since the pandemic, uh, we've been working. We've always worked closely with our policy um, advisor, Laura Colloy, who um, assists us in the policy arena, um, the outreach to um, Hill staff, um, and we worked very closely with her this last go around on the stimulus package um, to address the the issues on under COVID. Um, um, this is where you know. We heard that there might be waivers on IDEA. Uh, we sent out an alert to our members, and right away our members were calling their um, congressmen and their senators saying no waivers. Um, the Hill back way off on those waivers and instead have asked that the Secretary of Education submit a report in 30 days regarding waivers on the IDEA in Section 504. Um, so we continue to work really hard, send out alerts to our members on that. One of the great things about um, our members is that whenever we send out alerts for actions that are happening on the Hill, um, our members are always uh, right on it, calling their congressmen, calling their senators, um, and, and telling their representatives their feelings on it one way or the other. So. Um, we are a major player. Um, the Hills, the Hill wants to know what we think about many things. Um, and it's been a concerted effort with our government relations committee, our executive director, our CEO, Denise Marshall, um, has been instrumental in um, guiding COPA um, to become a, a real um, um, powerhouse um, on, on the national level. On the state level, um, we get a lot of requests on the state level from members, uh, and we do some state um, uh, uh, some state involvement uh, through our members. Um, you know, in Maryland, there were a couple of, of um, bills last session um, that COPA weighed in on, um, and we do that around the country. Great. Well. Thank you so much, uh, Celine Almazan, for, for being a guest speaker on Let's Talk Sped Law. Uh, COPA is an incredibly uh, active uh, 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 organization on the national level. Um, it, it certainly has national authority and uh, the resource for educational rights of students with disabilities and their families for, for advocates, for attorneys as well as for parents and the footprint that COPA uh, has developed since its inception over the last 22 years is is really something um, to be admired and and followed and for for the for the listeners who have not yet registered for an event for their listserv for their membership uh, what's the website that they can go to Celine to, to find out more information it's www copaa.org. Thank you so much, Celine, for being a guest speaker today.